We're in a series called Teach Me to Pray, and this is part 5A in our series. In other words, there's going to be another part to this particular phrase we're learning, and uh, we're studying the Lord's Prayer, and you know, the reason we're studying the Lord's Prayer is because the disciples grew up in synagogue, and they didn't pray correctly, and they didn't know that until they heard Jesus pray. And they're like, wow, teach us to pray. What? This is amazing. We've never heard somebody communicate to God like this. So Jesus taught him the Lord's Prayer. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you know how to communicate to God. Just because you're married doesn't mean you know how to communicate to your spouse. Okay, so there's a bigger amen with that one. You're like, yeah, amen, that one. If you get married and think, well, you know what? I'll just communicate to my spouse the way my parents communicated to each other. That'd be, what, how many of y'all would that really mess up your life if you communicated to your spouse the way you heard your parents? Okay, so just because you're saved doesn't mean you know how to communicate to God. We have to learn how to pray. And we're learning it through the model of the Lord's Prayer, and it's in Luke 11, and it's also in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And I'm going to put it up there for a second, but I'm gonna, I want to remove it because I want to see if y'all can do it. We've been doing it for five weeks now. Let's see if y'all have it memorized in the King, King James. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Good job, good job, good job. Okay, so last week we talked about give us. God wants to be your source. He wants to be your provider. It's not wrong to ask. Today's phrase we're going to study is this, and forgive us our debts. And forgive us our debts. Now, the rest of this phrase we're going to study next time. This is the one we're studying today, and forgive us our debts. If you're in Matthew 6, where you're reading the Lord's Prayer in your Bible, you can write off to the side of this verse or draw an arrow, and you can put sins, S-I-N-S, or you can put um, Psalm 51 next to that. Because the whole thing we're going to study is Psalm 51. Luke uses the word sins. Luke is, um, oh, it was in my notes, but Luke uses the word sins. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He was very detailed. Matthew uses debts. Luke uses sins. It's the same thing. We're going to talk about debts next time, but today we're going to talk about how to deal with sin. How to deal with sin. That's what this prayer is about. And this is a daily prayer, not a weekly prayer, not a monthly prayer, not a every Sunday prayer, not a Easter prayer. It's a daily prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So how do you deal with sin? Every day you and I have opportunities to sin. We have opportunities to uh, fall into temptation, to do things we know we shouldn't do, to completely disobey God. And we take these opportunities a lot. It's unfortunate, but we, we have a sin nature. We were born into sin, so we do sin uh, but how are we supposed to handle it? Let me tell you how you're not supposed to handle sin, okay? Um, you cannot go confess your sins to a priest and be forgiven. That's nowhere in the Bible. Uh, our churches, we try to remain as biblically as we possibly can. As much as I would love to have you come in my office and tell me all the things you've done wrong each week with the video camera on, that would be very exciting. But that's not how you get your sins forgiven. The scripture does say in James that you confess your faults one to another to be healed, but not forgiven. Another way you do not handle sin is you cannot pay God back for the sin. As much as I would love to pay off this building, you cannot come to church on Sunday and give money because of the things you did wrong yesterday. Okay? If so, the building would be paid off. We'd have a big amphitheater outside. We have a lot of things. And that's just for Mark's sin. Um, but I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
100. But that's not how you pay for sin. You can't do that. You can't do that. Let me tell you another way you don't handle sin. Um, you don't handle sin by sweeping it under the rug and just thinking it'll go away on its own. That's not how you handle sin. You cannot do that. Uh, if you, the more you sweep things under the rug, and I'm talking about when God speaks to you and you know he's talking to you about something, you sweep it under the rug and you ignore it and you ignore it and you become desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Desensitized. You end up living in sin. Nobody goes one day from honoring God and the next day they're completely living in sin. It's a, it's a process. It's a gradual process of sweeping things under the rug. Um, a lot of people, they get to a point in life they never thought they would get to this place and they're so ashamed they can't believe that. And it didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual process. And, it's not, and today's sermon is not how to not sin. That's not the sermon. The sermon is how to handle sin. There's a big difference. Another way that you do not handle sin is you do not allow the enemy to remind you of it every single day of your life. You do not allow any person to remind you of your past, whether it was 20 days ago, 20 minutes ago. It was once you've repented, um, only Satan remembers it. He's the accuser of the brethren. You cannot live your life guilty every day repenting for something you did two years ago. Every time you think about it, you go back and repent. God's forgotten it. You cannot allow the enemy to do that to you. It'll destroy your life. It'll stop you from serving God. The way you handle sin is to receive forgiveness. And Psalm 51 teaches us this. So in Psalm 51, if you're there in your Bibles, point number one, I'm going to give you three points today, three R's, and you can write this in Psalm 51 in your Bible. Next to Psalm 51, the first few scriptures there, write the word recognize recognize the sin. you got to recognize it. Um, King, Psalm 51 is dedicated to King David finally dealing with a sin that he committed. David committed adultery and murder. And murder. Uh, David was on the rooftop of his palace just saying, Oh Lord, thank you so much. You're such a good God. I love you with all my heart. You're great. You're so cool. You're all awesome. You've healed me. You've done great, great, great things in my life. Hold on a minute, God. And there was a woman bathing on the top of her roof, bathing, taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. I often wonder if she was taking a shower, would her name have been Shower Sheba? But it wasn't, but it was Bathsheba. So she was taking, this is all we hear about this woman, taking a bath. And David was not noticing how smart she was. I'll tell you that. That's not what it caught his eye. He pulled out his binoculars and he kept staring and staring until he finally told his, his, his servants, he said, go get her, bring her to me. He found out she was married. It didn't stop him. He had sex with her. He got her pregnant. And he had her husband killed to try to cover up the whole thing. Okay? Now, here's the thing about this story. This happened after David was blessed and overcame Saul and Goliath and became king. And God did great things in his life. How many of us in this room would love, 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 love to have said, I did those things before I was saved. But after I was saved, I didn't have any problem. How many would love to say that? We always want to get resaved when we do something really bad, okay? You cannot get resaved, but here's what you can do. You can get renewed, you can get restored, you can receive mercy every day. God's mercy is renewed every single morning. And here David did this after God blessed him. So imagine the guilt and shame that David had after this was over. For nine months, David was miserable. For nine months, he didn't pray. Because not, listen, not because of the sin, because he didn't handle the sin God's way. He didn't pray. For nine months, he had problems. He had health issues. He was depressed mentally. For nine months, here's the big one that really hurts me. For nine months, he didn't write a song. He lost his creativity, his anointing, his passion for Jesus. Again, not because of adultery and murder, because he didn't handle it 
God's way. That's why. As a Christian, we love to blame two things on why we're having problems in life. If we're having constant problems, there's a dark cloud over an area of our life, we love to say it's the devil. And you know what? The devil is our adversary, and he does come against us. We love to blame our coworkers or people around us because they've chosen to do us wrong. And we live in a fallen world, and people have a free will, and they can't hurt you. But a lot of times in church, we don't like to talk about option three, which could be there's sin in our life. We love to say the devil or people, and those are options, but it could be. If there's a black cloud in the area of your life over and over, it could be there's a sin or an area of disobedience that God's trying to talk to you about and you keep sweeping it under the rug or ignoring it or living guilty or whatever the case. If you cannot pay your electric bill of $150, it could be that your boss did not like you and you were a great employee and he fired you or she fired you. It could be the devil's just trying to steal all your finances or it could be that you spend $200 a month on beer and alcohol and you can't pay your electric bill. It could be. I don't know. Nothing wrong with, I'm not saying beer now, I'm saying you're not using your money wisely. You're using ignorance, not wisdom. Um, if you go from church to church to church to church to church to church to church, you can't ever find a church to be a part of and serve. It could be that God just hasn't shown you the right church, or it could be that you have a problem with authority. You're prideful. It could be a sin. You go from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship. It could be that you, that you have um, some kind of emotional issues and you deal with like unforgiveness or bitterness from something that happened in another relationship and you're taking it out on the next person. Or it could be you just haven't found the right person. I don't know. But what I'm saying is we cannot ignore the fact that there could be sin in our life. Proverbs 26.2 says the curse does not come without a cause. In other words, there's a reason. There's a reason. Um, I'm not a pastor that's afraid to talk about sin. So if you're visiting with us, you know, I don't, I don't say this isn't a, a normal sermon today, but I'm not scared about it. We all need to learn how to deal with it. So David, nine months, he was miserable. This could have been the last we hear of David. He could have faded off into the sunset after making these awful mistakes in life. But one day he got on his knees and he prayed. Psalm 51 is the prayer he prayed. In verses 1 through 3, he said, Wash me from my iniquity. Blot out my transgressions. Notice how I capitalize the word my. Cleanse me from my sin. For I, here's the point number one, recognize my faults. Here's what he was saying. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault. He goes, well, the reason I got addicted to pornography is because it just kept popping up on my computer. She, she was just, she was out there. She should have known to be bathing inside her house. Who bathes on the rooftop of a pallet, of, of a building? Who does that? He didn't say, you know what, it's, it's God, it's your fault because um, you had me at the wrong place at the wrong time. No, no, David said, it's my fault. I recognize what I've done. It's me. God, forgive me for the sin that I committed. He, he took responsibility for his action. We love to blame society. We love to blame everybody else. We say, well, you know what, the reason I got drunk and hit that person is because the bartender just kept serving me drinks. If the bartender had stopped serving me drinks, this wouldn't happen. The reason I screamed at my boss and got fired is because he or she treats me wrong. They're so rude to me, they talk down to me, and I just let them have what they deserve. You cannot continue to justify a sin or a disobedient act. It will destroy your life. So here's what we need to find out today. What is sin? Because honestly, a lot of people that come to church here, they don't know. They have a religious background and not a relationship with Jesus background, so they don't know what sin is. So I'm going to give you four words to describe sin. Very good words. Ready? Number one, selfishness. The essence of sin is selfishness. Number two, disobedience. Disobedience. Now, let me say this. Having a relationship is not like having a religion. 
you don't get saved and God says, okay, here's 2,200 laws that I need you to always do right in. That's not what it's about. When I got married, my wife did not say, okay, there's 12 things I need you to work on this week, and then next week I'll have you another list. That's not how it works. When you love someone and you're in a relationship with someone, you naturally grow and you, you, you learn each other and you serve each other because you have a heart to do so. So God does not have a list for you and he's beating you over the head every time you come to church, every time you pray. No, there's one thing in your life God's talking to you about right now, one thing. And after you overcome that, there'll be something else. And after you overcome that, there'll be something. That's just our walk with Jesus. And it's not a heavy weight. It's Jesus wanting to give you grace to overcome. And some things in our life, to be honest with you, and so preachers may disagree with me on this, but some things we're going to battle our whole life and we're going to keep having to seek God after. Like when Jacob was blessed by God, but he got the limp. Remember he got the limp? He had to walk the rest of his life with the limp, but it was something he needed to always remind, okay, I got I to gotta see God. I got to seek God. God's my source. I got to go to God. I need God. Paul prayed three times, get rid of this thing that's driving me crazy. God said, no, my grace is sufficient. Paul, I need you to come to me every day because I want to show you that I'll give you the strength every single day in this area. And so selfishness, disobedience. Here's two more. Iniquity and transgression. If you notice in Psalm 51 where David said, wash me from my iniquity, blot out my transgressions. Let me tell you about iniquity and transgressions. Iniquity for your notes is inward bent. An inward motivation towards sin. Inward. Let me give you some iniquities. Lust attitudes, hatred, bitterness, jealousy. These are inward bents. A transgression is trespasses. You know, forgive us our trespasses. Transgression is you, you went over a boundary line you shouldn't have gone over. Transgression is the action. Let me ask you, if the iniquity, let's say, is hatred, what would the transgression be? Give me a transgression. M murder. What about murder? It's the action. If the iniquity, let's say, is racism, the, the, the transgression would be to, to talk bad about people, to verbally say it. If the, if the iniquity is lust, the transgression would be sexual morality. Okay, So the iniquity is the inside, the transgression is the outside. And here's what was going on. The Pharisees were living by an ideology that as long as you didn't transgress, it wasn't sin. In other words, they said you can window shop all day long. As long as you don't say it, as long as you don't do it, as long as you don't act on it, it's not sin. Jesus came along and said, whoa, y'all are so messed up. It's a heart issue, man. Everything starts on the inside. Everything. Whether it's, whether, Jesus said if you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery. Jesus said if you, um, if you hate a brother, you're a murderer. Now, there's natural law consequences for different things we do, but according to Jesus, sin is sin. Whether it's on the inside or the outside, sin is sin. And so the Pharisees were shocked by this. They could not believe that Jesus was saying the in, inside. So I want to show you how, how amazing Jesus is, okay? Psalms 103.12 says, He will not punish us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Let me show you the perfection of God's word, the perfection of his word. Isaiah 53.5, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. A wound is outward bleeding. A bruise is inward bleeding. Watch this. Jesus bled on the outside for everything we would do on the outside. And Jesus bled on the inside for every thought, attitude, desire that was wrong that we'd have on the inside. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Perfect. Let me give you a point with number one is this. I will never conquer what I refuse to confront. 
You'll never conquer what you refuse to confront. Uh, alcoholics, drug addicts, they don't, the reason they, 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 get, they, they don't realize, they, they don't recognize a problem until they lost their teeth. They don't recognize a problem until they're in jail. And a lot of Christians, you look bad, you look down at a, a drug addict or an alcoholic, but let me tell you, we got iniquities that are just as addictive to drugs and alcohol on the inside, uh, gossiping or, or um, um, just being jealous of people or judging, prejudging people in your mind or whatever the case is. Don't wait until something happens on the outside that destroys your life till you deal with what God's trying to talk to you about on the inside. I love cars. I love trucks. I love them. And I'm part of all these Facebook groups where I can look at other people's cars and, you know, all these great things. Well, I was, I'm part of a group, and I just, I just get part of one without really studying what it is. I just start looking through it. And I saw this group I'm part of, and they had Ferraris and Lamborghinis for $10,000, $12,000, $8,000. I was like, whoa, this is great. Until I realized what it was, and I looked closely and read the details, it's a replica group. It's replica cars. It's kit cars. It's where you can buy the outside of a Lamborghini, just built. It's, it's built with the cheap stuff, you know, like like a, or not cheap stuff, but like what a, just a regular Toyota or whatever you built with the outside. And the outside looks like a Lamborghini, and they put it on top of a 1985 Fiero Pontiac or a Volkswagen Beetle, you know. Remember the? They put it on top of that, and so people are driving around looking like they're driving a $300,000 car. And as soon as they hit the gas, it sounds like Mario Go Kart, you know. <laughs> I mean, a golf cart could pass them by. There's a lot of Christians that are driving replica cars. On the outside, man, you would think they're the holiest people in the world. They talk the talk, man. Their Facebook page looks like that, that Moses and, 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 and Joseph live in their house from the Bible. I mean, they are, they are perfect. They do everything to strike, and they act like they're so much better than everybody else. But as soon as you open up the engine, that's what it sounds like when they hit the gas. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, here's what I'm trying to tell you. God doesn't want you to be a replica. He wants to make you the real thing. And if you will recognize the sin in your life and bring it to God, he will turn you into the Lamborghini he created you to be. He'll, you'll be the real Ferrari. They'll open up the engine and think, Woo, this, is, this thing's been washed. You're right. It's been washed in the blood of Jesus. That's how, that's how it's so clean and beautiful. Point number two is this. You've got to repent for the sin. Repent, repent, repent. Stop justifying disobedience. If you're easily offended, go to Jesus and say, I'm easily offended. I need help. If you got a problem with lust, go to Jesus and tell him about it. If you gossip, whatever it is, don't justify your bad attitude. Don't justify your, your, your lack of tithing and, and greediness. Don't justify not coming to church and serving Jesus. Don't you, people, can, people can pull out a scripture to justify anything. You've got to look at the whole Bible as a heart of God. Anytime you look at one scripture, you've got to compare it to the whole Bible. Repent for the sin. Listen, uh, Romans 2.5 says, because you refuse to repent, you've got a hard and stubborn heart. When you refuse to repent... It's like you're saying, you know what, this isn't no big deal, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and you end up getting to a place in life you never thought you'd be. You're not a bad person because you struggle with something. You're not a bad Christian because you have an addiction. You're not a bad Jesus follower because there's an area of your life that you keep having this inward bent towards. You're not bad because you struggle. Everyone in this room struggles. There are no perfect people except for me and Randy. And lately, I've been having my doubts about him, to be honest with you. But anyway, <laughs> listen, Jesus knows what you struggle with. He knew what you did. He knows what you've done in the past. He's known what you've done. He's known what you've done in the future. So just go to him and repent. Get it over with. 
Psalm 51, back in Psalm 51, verse 4, David said this, God, I've sinned against you. I know I hurt this person, but it, every time I hurt them, I hurt you. I know that when I said this to this person, it was wrong, but it hurt you. God, I've sinned against you. In verse 6, he said this, you desire complete honesty. Not, I, You know what? I know, I know people, and I love these people, but I know people that it's, I mean, like, there's it's, it's 100% proof they did this wrong. I mean, 100% proof. And you go to them, and they'll tell you 20 reasons why it wasn't them. I mean, you can have it on video. You can have eyewitnesses. You can have the whole thing there, and it's always somebody else's fault. Let me tell you, that's not repenting at all. That's blaming. Um, there's a story I read about these two siblings, uh, 9-year-old Sam and 12-year-old Sarah. They went to go visit their um, grandparents on a farm one day. And um, they were there for, they were spending the summer with their grandparents. And Sam, nine years old, he had a slingshot that he loved to play with. And he wasn't any good at it. He could not hit anything. He was not accurate, but he just loved to practice. One day he was walking towards the house to go for dinner. And he looked over by the pond and he saw his grandma's pet duck by the pond. He never dreamed he would hit this duck. But just for fun, he pulled that slingshot back and whoosh, let it go. And can you believe the rock hit that duck right on the head? Quack, that thing fell over and died. Sam ran over there. He was so upset he tried to revive the duck. That thing just stayed dead. He grabbed it. He ran behind the barn and he buried it where nobody would see. As he was walking back to the house, he looked out of his peripheral vision and he saw his sister Sarah 12 years old, she saw the whole thing take place. After dinner was over, Grandma said, Sarah, can you help me do the dishes? And Sarah said, Grandma, I would, but Sam said he really wants to do the dishes tonight. She whispered in Sam's ear, remember the duck. <laughs> the next day, Granddad was going to take the kids fishing, and Grandma said, I need one of them to stay home and do the chores around the house. And Sarah said, uh, you know, Grandma, Sam, he said he'd love to do the chores. I'll go fishing with Granddad. So Sarah went fishing with Granddad. Sam stayed home and did the chores. And as Sarah was walking by, she said, hey, Sam, remember the duck. For the next several days, Sam did his sisters and his chores until finally Sam had enough of it. He ran to his grandma. He said, Grandma, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, but I accidentally killed your pet duck. Grandma gave him a big hug. She said, Sam, I know you did. I was standing at the window and I was watching the whole thing take place. I was just wondering how long you would allow your sister to make a slave of you. Can I tell you something? God was standing at the window and he saw the whole thing take place. You can run, but you can't hide. He saw everything that happened and he's waiting with his arms wide open for you to go to him and just repent for what happened. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and take away our sins. The most powerful word in this scripture is the word if. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and take away our sins. So here's my question, or here's my comment. When we stop confessing it as sin, we stop considering it as sin. When we stop considering it as sin, it becomes a normal part of our life and we end up living in sin. Where regardless of whether it's living in sin, in sexual morality, or whether it's living in sin, in being a gossip. And that's every day you just go around and gossip if you stop confessing it. So here's my question. How do I know if I've been forgiven? There's two ways to know if you've been forgiven. I'm going to tell you one today and the next one next time I preach. One today is this. How do I know I've been forgiven? If I've confessed. If you've confessed, God will remove it. If you confessed, he's taken away. 
If you've conv- People don't go to hell for sin. Please write that down. Write it down frontwards, backwards, in Greek, Latin, Spanish, and French. People do not go to hell for sin. Nobody's in hell for sin. If, if people go to hell for sin, that means they can go to heaven for doing something good. You, no one's in heaven for doing good things, okay? Nobody. Read the whole Bible. You got murderers, adulterers, thieves, liars, fornicators, Lot committed incest. I mean, Samson had an addiction to pornography. I mean, all these, and they're all in heaven. You're not in hell for sin. You're not in heaven for a lack of. You go to heaven because you have a relationship with the one who took away sin, and you're in hell because you decided not to have a relationship with the one who took away sin. And the reason that we as Christians, and I'm almost done, the reason we stop confessing things is we get to this point where we think, man, I've done it 200 times, and God is tired of hearing about it. And I feel like a failure because I just keep confessing and repenting, so I'm just going to forget about it. Don't ever stop confessing. Don't ever stop. Don't ever, this is part of the healing process. It's part of the relying on God process. If you could do something to pay for your sin, then Jesus would not have had to die. If you could do something to pay for it, then you said, Jesus, I don't need you. Jesus, you didn't have to die for me. I can pay for my sin. I can do something good to make up. No, no, no. When you confess it, God forgets about it. Let me show you the scripture in Isaiah 43, 25. I am the God who does not keep a list of your sins. I will forget the wrongs that you have done. It, <clears throat> here's what we think. We, we think this. We repent for a sin and we think, you know what? I've repented for it sometimes. We think that every time we repent, God has this file cabinet up in heaven, okay? He goes to this file cabinet of all of our sins and he opens the thing up and then... Anyway, and then he goes, you say, oh, God, I repent because I looked at something I shouldn't look at. And okay, let me see here. And God says, okay, back in 2008, you repented for that 433 times. 2009, it was 300 times. 2010, 100 times. 2011, went back up to 650 times. And on and on. You know, once you repent, the list is gone. It's gone. Now, if you keep doing it, you keep repenting. If you don't keep doing it, you don't need to keep repenting. You don't need, if you, if you didn't do it again and you repent, God's saying, what are you talking about? There, there, there's, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I've forgotten. You've already repented for it. Psalm 51.10, David said this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Here's the last point, number three. Receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. There was a couple in church here at Solid Rock in a, another building years and years ago they started coming to church because they were having marriage problems and they really wanted to they really wanted to have a healthy marriage i sat down with them a few times and finally i discovered the root of the problem the wife when they first met she got pregnant not married and she had an abortion and then they got married and she told her husband hey you know a few months before whatever i was pregnant i had an abortion and they went through some fighting and stuff or whatever. The husband forgave her. This woman would repent of this every single week for years. She was tormented with guilt, tormented. So much so, she did not sleep with her husband after she told him what happened. In eight years, they had been married and never slept together. After that, after she finally told him, she broke down. She was so ashamed of what she did, so ashamed. Her husband stayed with her for eight years until finally he left her and got a divorce. And here's what I told her. I said, listen, you recognized it. You repented. 
receive forgiveness. John, boy, you don't understand. It was so bad. I knew I shouldn't have done it. And we wanted a child, but we wanted to wait after we were married. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Were we going to get married? We're going to stay together. I was so confused. I shouldn't have done it. I know. I said, okay, it's good. It's fine. Okay, you did something God didn't want you to do. That's between you and God. You recognize that you repent it. Receive forgiveness, please. She said, I can't. It's so bad. Every day she'd repent. Every day. And I told her, I said, listen, God doesn't know what you're talking about. He's chosen to forget. He doesn't know what you're saying. He doesn't know what you're saying. You've asked for repentance. You haven't done it again. He doesn't know what you're saying. Stop. She did number one. She did number two. But the receiver, she just would not receive. And it destroyed her life. To this day, she is a wretch of a woman. She is the most miserable. She tries to smile and she can't even smile. Because of something that happened 15 years ago. Hebrews 4.16 says, when you pray, come confidently and boldly to God's throne. Here's why. To receive mercy for every failure. Let me close in Psalm 51. Every one of us in here, we've done things we're ashamed of. We all have, okay? Try being king of Israel, defeating Goliath, overcoming Saul, having all kind of great victories after victory after victory, being the most popular man in the nation, the most impactful warrior in the nation, the greatest leader the nation has ever seen. You're so great, people are singing songs about your victories. The blessings God has given you, you started off in poverty, living on the streets or in the wilderness, taking care of animals, and now you are a king or president, whatever you want to say. And after all that God's done for you, and you're writing songs about God, and people are using it in churches all over the world. And everything's great. I mean, you can't even imagine how much God has blessed you. And after all that, you have a man murdered because you got his wife pregnant. Imagine the shame. Would any of us, any of us, have the boldness to go to God and say, Okay, I want you to bless me. I want you to give me mercy. I want you to do great things in my future. God, I want to have some joy in my life. After David recognized, after he repented, in verse 12 of Psalm 51, he said, now I want you to restore to me the joy that I got when I was first saved. Bring me joy back in my life. Immediately, God did not say, what are you talking, do you know what you did? Can you know what you did? Can you see all that I did for you and you spit in my face? Immediately, God gave David back his joy. He started writing songs. God blessed him in abundance. And in verse 17 of Psalm 51, David said this, God, you don't want sacrifices or else I'd give it. You don't want me to pay for my, you know, the wrong things I've done with good things. Here's what you want. The sacrifice of you is a humble heart. A humble heart is one that recognizes the sin, that repents for the sin, and that receives... It's, it's, Imagine how hard it is to receive from someone who you've hurt over and over and over again, but yet they're being good to you. And God says, that's what my throne is all about. My whole, <laughs> I knew what you would do before and after. I was standing at the window watching the whole thing take place, and I already have new mercies for you every time you open up your eyes. Let me ask you this. Would your children serve you and do better the more you forgive them and bless them as they grow, or the more you make them feel guilty and point them and remind them how bad they are, and I can't believe you did this 12 years ago and on and on. Of course, the first one. 
God says, I know, listen, I want you to serve me and build my kingdom, so I'm going to keep being good to you, keep giving you mercy. The last scripture is in Acts 13, 22. Here's what God said. I have found David to be a man after my own heart. He does everything I want him to do. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. He committed adultery and murder and all kind of, he does everything you want him to do. How can that be? Here's why. Because here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to receive mercy. That's what he wants you to do. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He doesn't want you to do everything just right. He wants you to be humble and receive mercy. And because David did that, now God can say, he does everything I want him to do. He knows how much I love him. He knows how good of a God I am. Recognize, repent, receive. Amen?